Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. I'm so excited to bring you Don Menken, and I do need to shout out Sarah Wong because Don, Julio, and Liz, our last three guests, were all guests that Sarah Wong introduced us to. She's turned me on to process work and deep democracy work. Don is somebody who uh, Sarah turned me on to. I signed up for a three-month-long case consultation group with her, and I was like, oh, I have found my person. I, I she is so, I can't, process work is looking at systems, not just mental illness living inside people, but we're deeply connected to this flow. And as a therapist, what you're trying to do is not fix people, but actually get things out of the way. Because that's actually usually what's creating problems is that we're not fully expressing ourselves. Same with systems and groups. We're going to hear a lot about her book on facilitating a more Perfect Union, a Guide for Politicians and Leaders. It's really a different way of thinking about dialogue and politics. It's going to be so creative and juicy, and it'll be a little surprising when you hear her, because she's going to basically tell a new story of what our politics can look like. And um, I think you're going to have a little bit of an infectious energy, too, because there's a kindness that comes through in addition to, to Don's wisdom. She's at Dr. Don Menken. 35-year veteran in process work, and it's a real privilege to me to get to talk with her. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Don, I'm really, um, I got to tell you, first of all, why I'm excited to have you here. Aside from Mm -hmm. your book, I had the weirdest experience doing this process work group with Ellen and Max. And Uh I'm like, and then Sarah Wong keeps poking me. I don't know if you know her, but she's like, oh, you need to go take this with Dawn. And then you got to go do this with Liz Scarf in New Zealand. So I keep being drawn to all you guys. What is this process work thing? Because I've been doing, I've been a therapist for 20 years and it's weird. Right. (laughs) What's, what's weird about it to you? (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I spent a week in one of the weirdest group process experience. And I've done encounter groups and tea groups. I had zero yeah. social anxiety for seven days. From being in like a group process setting? With Ellen and Max. Ellen and Max, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm like, why? This is weird. It's chaotic. It's a little uncontained. You know, there's all these voices coming in. People are yelling at each other. I'm feeling like this is great. Uh-huh. That's because you're naturally just so open sitting on the sidewalk. And instead of having all the voices, you know, as feelings in the background, it's all out there. I think it makes many people relax, but it's also quite nerve wracking. Other people are quite anxious. Yeah. Well, I think that there was so much truth. But so 
Yeah. You've been, you're one of, I don't want to like idolize you or anything, but shit, you're one of the pioneers. You've been doing this a long, Um, long time. Yes, it's true. It's true. Well, um, what drew you to it? My story, I think what got me into it is basically just my basic nature. I was always a very introspective and sensitive child and teenager, but I was also quite radical and always looking at what's on the fringe and feeling myself confined in different ways and marginalized. But then, you know, I had this experience. I went to uh, a liberal arts college that was, you know, quite radical and fit my nature. And which, I had which, which one? Antioch College. Uh-huh. Yep. I think it's more far out now after it went, you know, it was for a hundred years, uh, one of the first schools to admit women and black people. And it had a co-op program. But anyway, I had a great professor who I absolutely adored. His name was Ben Thompson. And he, um, he taught in the education department. And his classes were learner and the learning process. But he was interested in the deeper experience of learning, self-knowledge, personal growth. This is in the education department, mind you. And he also taught a class called The Teachings of Don Juan based on the works of Carlos Castaneda, which, Mm -hmm. you know, from people of my generation, we read all those books. And many of us were excited about you know, all the medicinal plants, but it also had another layer to it, which was very psychological and very much about growing and learning and self-knowledge and developing your deepest self. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Ben Thompson's class at Antioch, he was he was the most, you know, at, at that time, we, you know, people were all hippies, counterculture. This was in the mid-70s. And Ben Thompson was like the most straight-laced Midwestern guy you've ever seen. He was like no probably kidding. in his late 50s when I met him. And his classroom had no chairs. You'd go into his room, you'd sit on the floor, and he was very spontaneous. He just began to talk about stuff. He began to read things that were of interest to him. And he stimulated and created conversation and self-reflection, which was quite unusual. And he spoke about the things in the Castaneda books, you know, that were applicable. Mm-hmm. At any rate, every single class, he would read from an unpublished manuscript of Arnie Mandel, uh, which is actually, uh, this was before Arnie had written any books. It was, this was a manuscript, and it was based on the works of Castaneda and the ideas and the inspiration of, of the Yaqui uh, Mexican Indian Don Juan Matus, and I'm not going to go into whether he was a real character or a fictional character. It has meaning for whatever, you know, you take it for what it's worth. Um, but Arnie wrote a whole manuscript about that, which at wow. the time um, wasn't able to be published. Castaneda didn't give permission. He was allowed then. He was alive then, rather. And um, that book later became a book of Arnie's called The Shaman's Body. Okay. Many years later. But Ben Thompson in my college class would read from this book, this manuscript, the unpublished manuscript of Arnie's. And I was I was thinking, oh, my goodness, who is this person? Wow. And I thought, I have to go and meet him. And no kidding. Went, yeah, this is how this is how it all started for wow. uh, I was the, the first one for my group of uh, 
cohortions, I guess, at that time, a certain group of, of young Americans. And in my junior year, I created an independent study. At that time, Arnie was identified very much as a Jungian analyst and also working in the area of physics. And he was just beginning his idea of the dream body. And I went and I met him and I felt like I was I was with a wizard. And I was so deeply moved by my my personal experience with him that I knew I would I would come back. So I I had a stint there in my junior year of school. I came back. I got my degree. I worked like crazy as a waitress to save money. Found myself back then in Switzerland and was there for ten years and was part of the development and the first group of students in process work. So, so were you at the Young Institute in Zurich? Is that where you were? No. But, um, Arnie was a teacher there. He was a Jungian analyst. Okay. And I would attend some of his lectures there, but he was doing things on the side. Okay. And he had what he called process work. At that time, actually, it wasn't called process work. It was called dream body work. Uh-huh. And um, as Arnie began to grow his idea of the dream body, which is basically the idea that what you see in dreams and images, those experiences are also present energetically in body symptoms. Mm-hmm. So if you unfold them and you work with them, um, your body symptoms, you can also find those similar energies um, in your dreams and in the body, thus the idea of the dream body. And so that, that was what it was called back then. And, um, Arnie began to just develop process work and applying the basic idea of process work that that which is disturbing, unusual, on the peripheral of our awareness, outside of our identity, um, is potentially meaningful and is encoded somehow with an inherent wisdom that if we could tap into that, if we can unfold it, not just see it from an identity-based perspective, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's terrible, it's painful, it's a pain in the ass, but try to get into the basic essence of it. Yeah. Um, it's helpful. And Arnie began to apply that idea. So we had it with dreams, with with body work and symptoms, relationship work, people who are dying and in coma and uh, extreme states of consciousness, all the way up to the experience that you had in a group process world work setting, process work applications with groups um, in, you know, large or small multicultural settings. This is a helpful backdrop and it's, it makes me even more excited that mm-hmm. I get to have you here with us. Um, it's pretty cool. I, I am in this place with psychotherapy where I find it's become so mechanized uh-huh. that, it's, that it's not listening for these dream body pieces that you're describing yeah. And it's becoming quite op- oppressive. I'm wondering if there's a story or a case that is coming to mind for you that helps illustrate this concept of dream body and the, the secondary process and the different channels that, because I, I don't think people will get it because it all feels like garbly good. Hard, right? Yeah, until you have an experience. So let me tell you my first body symptom that I worked with, with Arnie on. I was, I was 20 years old. I had had an abscess in my tooth that was very painful. I had done a lot of dental work with with no success. It was still bothering me. Uh, Not that process work 
heals body symptoms. I don't want to give that false impression. It can. It can have a really good effect. Uh, regardless, it gives you a different perspective and meaning, and that is enriching. So in this se session, I worked with Arnie on that abscess in my tooth. And um, he asked me, um, my experience of it was that it was kind of um, sharp feeling. And um, he also had me draw it. And I drew a lot of points and a lot of them had many colors. And then I was unfolding that experience by making sharp movements. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't just staying with the pain of the experience, the victim of the experience, the identity-based perception of it. But I was trying to, you know, with his support, I was trying to get into the energy of the creation of the symptom. Mm -hmm. And in that kind of sharp, colorful feeling... Uh, making movements. People can't see me in your podcast, but I'm making sharp, uh, uh, like pointed movements, moving my arms up and out, um, was an expressive dance, so to speak. And mm -hmm. I was, this was a message to a part of me that was more shy, actually, and more introverted and nothing wrong with being shy and introverted. I love that part of myself too, but I was more shy with, about my points and my expressive type energy. And um, I left Arnie's office and he said to me, you know, Dawn, because uh, uh, a lot of it had to do with um, bringing that out into the world, mm -hmm. that kind of energy. He said, why don't you paint your face? Why don't you go home? If you're inspired, paint your wow. face. So I went back to my little room and I painted my face, all of these wild colors. And then I went out walking in the city streets of Zurich. Now, that is an extremely radical thing to do when it's not carnival time, when it's not Fasnacht. Oh, wait. Um, you weren't painting a picture of your face. You no, I painted on your my face. face. Okay. So all, all coming to I life lived now. that colorful, expressive part of me. And you right went and walked there. around Zurich, Switzerland. Like I just that. walked around like that. I was 20 years old, and I, I was a, I'm a pretty radical creature anyway, having fun with that and playing with it. Now, here's the crazy, and I took, uh, I went into a photo booth. You know, remember the photo booths? I guess mm -hmm. they still have them where you yeah. could get four pictures on a thing. And I took a picture of myself. I still have that picture probably somewhere. And But I did have an extraordinary healing effect. The next day, that abscess went away. And I never have had trouble with it since. So, and I learned a lot. I really, I, that's the big thing. I learned a lot. And it's also true that sometimes working at that level does have a good effect on your body. Well, that was one of my first experiences working on a symptom, Tracy. Yeah, I mean, so for those that are listening, I just got done in a several-month consult group with Don, yeah. um, and I was the newbie hanging out with all these senior <laughs> process workers, which was really fun. Um, but it's it's so fascinating to hear all the cases and the ways in which when you listen and, and in a way give permission to these parts and the messages that they're bringing us. Yeah. That's the first thing. And then the second is to give them expression, right? In various, in the body, through movement. Um, and 
and or give parts expression in groups. And the only thing I can say is I feel freer. Something in me makes an out breath when I'm like, oh, there's room for all of this here. There's nothing yeah. that's actually being asked to behave. Mm -hmm. Everything is being welcomed. Exactly. And, and it makes me want to share with you, Tracy, because at that young age, so we're talking about the mid-70s in the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, as I said, I was kind of, I was a person who was interested in my personal growth. And I was a very serious, kind of reflective person. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I thought my basic being was wrong in some way. And there were a lot of kinds of self-help, uh, different psychological paradigms that were popping up in bodywork experiences. And I would try all different things, but I always left feeling insufficient. I felt like, oh, I'm not open enough. I'm not soft enough. I'm not nurturing enough. Um, I'm not flexible enough. Everything was, I wasn't enough of something. And I think in my earliest encounters, well, I know I don't think my, my, in my earliest encounters with Arnie and working with process work, and this is fundamental in process work, that there's no norm of health. That is fundamental. There's not a way of how people should be, but it's more about trying to explore what is emergent and trying to happen in you. So, you know, at that time, even though, you know, I grew up with the women's movement and it was still, you know, percolating at that time, mm -hmm. um, roles of what a woman should be were still very strong in, in my psyche, even though I was a pretty radical female. Mm -hmm. um, but still, you know, f this idea of softness, this idea of being nurturing, um, flexible was definitely part of my female socialization. In one of my sessions with Arnie, right from the start, and that accepting, curious nature of process where I became a warrior. And I had this, you have to imagine this, I had a wrestling match with him. I was like, what, 20? And he's was like 40. And just <laughs> encouraging me. I mean, it sounds pretty crazy, maybe, to some people who are listening, but being physical and learning about your physicality is really important. Mm -hmm. And encourage, he encouraged me to use my power and my expressiveness and to be the fierce uh, warrior and passionate person that I am. Mm -hmm. And that was a revolution to me, just busting out of all the female stereotypes and that I was just fine who I was. There was nothing to strive for or to mm -hmm. become. And that was really refreshing. I think that last statement is why I'm drawn to it. Because I, I think that I said to, I was saying to someone the other day, I said, I feel like psychotherapy's replaced church. Sometimes it feels, it feels like it's medicalizing the human soul, the yeah. way it's currently being applied. I mean, I have, my, my therapist is a Jungian analyst and he's <laughs> a professor at the University yeah. of Zurich, but it's still, um, so powerful to hold the human psyche in this way of exploration, mm -hmm. listening, freedom, what's trying to emerge. I mean, you guys were talking about emergent strategy, and now that's like the zeitgeist term now, you know? <laughs> Everyone's talking about emergence. Well, the heart um, of me in psychology is all about the teleological principle. I think Jung is very much like that. Yes. 
that, uh, you know, that, that the individual strives towards meaning, that it's not a reductive psychology. And yes. by the way, process work is often referred to as the daughter of Jungian psychology. And uh, I see that. just a fun story to share with you. Yeah, yeah, you tell me. This or your listeners might enjoy this. I, I lived in uh, Zurich for 10 years in the 80s, and we had these uh, large uh, intensive courses at the time. And uh, one year, um, June Singer. She's, Why do she's I know famous. that? I know that name. Yeah, yeah she's famous Jungian. It, uh, I can't remember her books just now, but she's a famous Jungian. And she came to see what we were up to. And I, uh, we had a little newsletter at the time, and I interviewed her. And she said the most fascinating thing to me. She said, oh. Arnie is working with the living unconscious. No. That is the difference from Jungian psychology. Jungian psychology, the analytical piece, mm -hmm. um, engaging in active imagination, um, talking about where uh, process work more embodies uh, this whole idea of a living unconscious. And mm -hmm. uh, she was absolutely fascinated. I I thought that was a good point. Good differentiation. That is really interesting. Well, it is fascinating work. I'll just say I'm I'm in. I, I think I found I've been searching for 18 years for a clinical home and I'm like, hmm, I think I might have to go all the way on this one. The the group stuff's a little interesting. I, I still I'm trained in yeah. so much trauma stuff, you know, and, and nervous system regulation. And and so I'm I'm trying to to marry the two. But I wanna I wanna ask you about your yeah. book. Thank you. Look, you, you have such an interesting lens on how all of this could, I'm going to say it, I'm going to curse, the fucked up situation that we're in politically. Awful, yeah. And how this, this process of, the, the process work, that there are all these parts coming out. And, and I remember early days, I wrote this, this article saying, we all have a Donald Trump living inside of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but I, I'd love to get process works take, I mean, your take on what's happening politically right now. I know well, that's like a mouthful. You're like, <laughs> you're like, Tracy, just buy that book. No, I bought the book. I have the book. Everyone else will have to go buy the book. Well, you know, um, my books, I mean, to speak about what is going on in our world, there are many experts in many fields sure. who would have obviously a, a different take on it. I think uh, me and you and probably most of your listeners are fearful for democracy mm -hmm. and um, the, the threat against it. And, and just our discourse has deteriorated. Mm -hmm. And my book, which is, it's about, um, I got, re I, basically for years I've been screaming at the television. I watch TV, I watch the news, and I scream, and I get so upset what I see, and I end up coaching leaders from my couch. That's what happens to me. And so a few years back, um, right at the start, I guess, of the pandemic or just before, I realized, um, I think I have something to say. I shouldn't just coach from the couch. <laughs> and I first actually created a class. Um, about this whole idea 
of a politician becoming a facilitator. Mm. And it was a class I, I originally did a few years back with about 50 international leaders. And it was very exciting. And they encouraged me to write a book. So the book is basically about that. It gives really practical tips about how it's also related to leaders of all fields mm-hmm. and how, you know, it's important. And I'm thinking of my political friends who tell me, Dawn, it's really important to have a platform. Okay, we got to have a platform. Yes. But I want to add the idea that we don't just have a platform and advocate for our one side of views, mm-hmm. but we, the facilitator or the leader must position herself also as a facilitator mm-hmm. because you're not just leading one section of the world. Um, we have to find a way um, to get along and to facilitate dialogue. And I think that's what is missing. And I think this is maybe where process work has a special contribution. I mean, everybody knows we're polarized, particularly in the United States, but in many countries, it's not unique to us. And the polarization in part is the human tendency. It's about the human tendency to otherize someone, right? This one is the evil one. This one does this, that, and the other. Now, when you look at that, an individual practice, if you're working with someone psychologically and someone comes in and says to me, you know, I can't stand such and such at work. He is so arrogant. He's the most arrogant, entitled person I've ever met and I hate him. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear that. Now I can feel for the person who feels that they are struggling with that guy. But at the same time, how can we see more deeply into that person? And how could we potentially connect with the so-called arrogant one in ourselves? Mm -hmm. So for example, relationally, we might think, huh, that arrogance actually, believe it or not, that person doesn't really feel so good about himself. It's shocking. But it's coming out as such an annoying signal Because deep down, that man really doesn't feel loved and appreciated. And how how might we connect and bring that across relationally? But then as the intrapsychic, the the person who's come to you, who's complaining about that, Mm -hmm. they might need something of the energy of arrogance. Maybe not to be, you know, arrogant in that way, but maybe that person needs to toot their own horn a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe they need more support to market themselves in the world in some way, and they could use that, and that's why it disturbs them so much. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of otherizing um, is about how we also as individuals marginalize different parts of ourselves, and wholeness is really about connecting and getting on with that with which we marginalize internally in our relationships and in the world at large. So the book itself focuses more, you know, on politics, on on group dynamics and speaking to the public. And it's really hard, by the way. It's not easy what I'm suggesting. Yeah, but somebody's got to dream it up. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that in these in these moments of polarization, yeah. the thing that we're polarizing has information in it for our own self, mm-hmm. like the thing yes. that we're other, it's, it's an, but if I'm getting you right, 
we're probably not only othering that person, but we're othering that quality inside of ourselves. Exactly. And it's worth taking a look at because otherwise we don't actually free ourselves if we just keep it going out there. Is that, is it, I mean. Exactly. And that's all of us. You know, I'm reminded of uh, years back when the Iraq war began, there was a protest in Portland, Oregon, which is where I lived. I was walking with my baby stroller and this anti-war protester was screaming about the pigs and the cops and he was scary. And I said to him, I said, you know, you're a little scary. I'm here also with a little baby. We're getting a little scared. And he blew up at me. He got so furious. And I said, hey, look, man, we're talking about peace. I feel right now you are warlike. So, you know, we all know that. <laughs> the unconsciousness of that. I was, one thing I was going to share that I was thinking about, Tracy, was um, it's really hard to reach across to others yeah. who, who, you know, you feel their views are so abhorrent, you know? Yeah. They're, they're terrible. They're awful. You can't stand them. They're hurtful. They're dangerous. Mm -hmm. So I really pressed myself in writing my, my book and, you know, the, the reader will see that there's many speech examples that I give. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to read one Please. of my speeches. Yes, I love I, it. And I had to dig, the reason why I'm sharing this, and it's a bit longer than my, the other ones in my book, but, I, but it's important because basically I was imagining myself, what would I say to the country? You were in a Oh, position. I love this so much. So you gave yourself permission to think about the speech you oh, absolutely did. absolutely all my speeches in my book i give tons of examples of what political folks can say in polarizing situations so the one i chose which was really hard for me and i'm sure it's also hard for many of your listeners is you might remember um the march in charlottesville virginia where uh there was a big uh protest uh where white nation it was a white nationalist rally um, they were upset about Confederate statues being removed, and they were uh, chanting, Jews will not replace us with Confederate flags and swastikas. And so I challenge myself here, okay? Because you're How? Jewish. I, yes, I'm also Jewish, but regardless, I'm human, and that disgusts me. <laughs> it's very upsetting. Yes. And... So here's no, but my I, mean, I imagine it's harder for somebody to write this speech when you're also simultaneously Jewish. I think the fact that I'm Jewish makes me more terrified. Yeah. The fact that I'm Jewish does not make it difficult for me, actually, to write the speech, because first and foremost, with all my years on, on this planet Earth, I am more interested in my larger <laughs> goals okay. of democracy and people getting along so that's that's easier but the personal way it, it freaks me out is this is terrifying yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but anyway so this is what I might say and I, I it's just to give your listeners a sense of how to reach out to a side that you feel is so repulsive to you but at the same and at the same time take a stand how to do both at the same time mm. so here's my sample speech okay you can imagine. 
Today in Charlottesville, a group protested the planned removal of the statue of General Robert E. Lee, commander of the Confederate Army. Most of us watched in horror as protesters marched with tiki torches, brandishing swastikas and Confederate flags, chanting, Jews will not replace us. That kind of hatred harms our country. And despite the offense, I'm challenging myself to feel into the passion of this position. What must it be like to be a son or daughter of the Confederacy, to even be an ancestor of Robert E. Lee? What is it like to live with the legacy that your ancestors owned Black people? Yes, this way of life has been replaced, thank goodness. And the agony of this history is part of our American story. And those of us who are direct descendants of slave owners are faced with a complex set of feelings. We don't want to turn against our ancestors and feel shame due to their actions. We want to feel that we belong and that our history is valuable. We are looking for our place in a country that now looks down on us. This is very painful. And I want to tell those protesters that deep down you have more in common with those whom you battle. You're looking for your place, that precious feeling of belonging and pride. It is the, the same desire kindled in African-American people to throw off the chains of slavery and the police boots on their neck. It is the sense of home that Jewish people long for fleeing pogroms and concentration camps. It is the deepest human longing for all people who risk everything and flee violent circumstances to reside in these United States of America. There is room enough for all of us. We all need to feel our pride and sense of home without denigrating others. It is the only way forward. Feel pride in your vision to live in a country that insists on freedom and belonging for all people. That's what I would say, Tracy, if I had that platform. And I hope I've given people a sense of how to dig deep what's going on in the background for those who have viewpoints that are so hard for us to understand. I mean, I'm on board with all of that. I just love it. <laughs> and then my my medicalizing therapist brain goes, yeah, but our nervous systems just want to keep us in the fight. Yeah. You know? Yes. Uh, what do you think we have to I mean some this people is, this will is, have to fight. Yeah. Some people will fight. There have always been warriors. There always will be. I'm I guess the piece that I'm going back to the stroller story that you were telling earlier. Like how do we ensure that our fight you know, Audrey Lord comes up a lot, not using yeah. the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. And I, we had uh, Howard C. Stevenson on the podcast who teaches uh, African-American history at Penn State. And he said, yeah, sometimes it feels like we're just trying to trade places with who's the one doing the oppressing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guess that's what I mean is. It seems really hard for folks to know how to do power with would be the language I would use. We seem to be really mm -hmm. caught. Our nervous system just wants to win. You're wrong. I'm right. And um, 
I'm the question I have for you around this is what are the inner capacities that we humans would have to develop to even be able to reach across to, to give a speech like that? Well, I think you've said it. Being one-sided is very addictive. Uh -huh. We want to have, we want to be right. And that that's human. Nothing change, nothing will change there. But it's an additional view. Mm. It's your larger view. It's your if you have a humanistic view, if you have a view of of, of people and community, and the deepest religions talk about that. <laughs> um, if you want to connect, if you want to understand and get along, then you have to go beyond your one-sided position. Mm -hmm. And we have to model that from the very beginning. You know, I've, I've also uh, written a parenting book, which is very, very close to my heart, because you have to teach these things to kids. Yeah. You can't just be right with your kids. Yeah, I love, I loved as a mother encouraging my child to disagree with me. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know, okay, there's no consequence if you disagree. I really want to hear how you feel. You begin to model, you know, something other than polarization, that you can give a variety of viewpoints that can be held. So, yeah, and to not otherize people. I mean, you know, it's in, you know, when we teach kids and we say, you know, well, you know, you're leaving that kid out. Well, would you want to be left out? We're We're doing it. Meaning we're modeling it when we're teaching them how to create belonging and inclusion. Walk in someone else's moccasins, someone else's shoes, treat people, you know, all the deepest things that come out in philosophies and religions, treat your neighbor as yourself, all these things. Yeah. No, I'm break up the basic tendency of otherizing and demonizing. So maybe the more of us who can model that, but I think it does go all the way back to parenting and raising children yeah. and supplied in our own relationships and family lives, friendships, communities. Yeah. I often would joke that uh, when I was being bossy to my kids and not holding their complexity, I called it least common denominator parenting. <laughs> It's fast and easy, but it's not necessarily planting the good seeds. You know, it's like, oh, I just wanted control. Um, Your humility is touching, Tracy. That's also <laughs> that's also beautiful teaching for kids that we can that we can be humble. We can show learning on the spot that we can apologize because mm -hmm. it teaches them to do the same. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm imperfect, but I, you know, my sons have done some things in the last few months as young teenagers that have shocked the crap out of me. My, I'll tell you this one story about my youngest, because I think it's so cute. Um, my husband's not a good gift giver. It's, that's just not his jam and I'm fine with it. Um, but my younger son knows that I kind of like it. I like the cheesy ones. I don't need big extravagance. I just like to be remembered. And so on Valentine's Day this year with his own money, he went to the gas station and got some little wilted flowers and a bar of chocolate for me. And this is all, you know, Valentine's Day is not my favorite holiday, but the thoughtfulness of it and the touchiness of it was really, really sweet. And I'd had a particularly bad day that day. So that he came upstairs and he said, hey, look, I, um, I, I got you some flowers and some chocolate for Valentine's Day. And I started to tear up and I said, 
this is so meaningful to me today because I had a particularly bad day. And so just to be thought of by you is so, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. What he did next was the true gift. He sat down on the couch. He goes, do you want to tell me about your bad day? Oh, <laughs> I just went, beautiful. Oh. Yeah. So oh. gorgeous. So I think I think we're doing okay. Really raised a, a relational young man. How old is he? He's thirteen. Uh, how beautiful! Yeah, yeah. And he's got his own convictions, and yeah. yeah, he's a good he's a good kid. He's he's a I think he's a trans activist. One of his best friends is a is a Muslim trans kid whose parents won't support them. Mm-hmm. He's just very clear about where he stands on this, and. Uh, it's very, I like, like watching him have his own concepts of what is just in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful to be a mom and observe and nurture what's growing in front of you. Yeah. I hope we can be like this with one another. This yeah. thing that we're talking about right now is what I'm longing for. And that's, I think that's also why I wanted to have you here. Cause I feel like your legacy is this. I feel like you teach us all how to hold this kind of gentle complexity that's both a combination of gentle and ferocious, Mm -hmm. kind of this beautiful mixture. So I just, I really appreciated being in this, in this group process with you. You might've started me on a path here. I just want to say, so thank you for that. My pleasure. I appreciate you very much. Yeah. Yeah. We have this fun ritual for how we end our conversation, which is I hand the mic off to you. Meaning, like I had the mic the whole time, but okay. You had the mic the whole time, but you're no longer talking just to me, right? And I know we've kept the listeners in mind, but this is a question emerged from all these conversations, which is what is a wish or words of wisdom that you would, you feel compelled to offer to these people that sit on public sidewalks? Well, you know, if you're sitting on a public sidewalk, that means you you're interested in the world. So see the world as your playground. See the world as you. Whatever is happening in front of you is you. The one who's rushing around trying to get somewhere. The one who's exploding in rage. The one who's in need and down and out. That's each of us. Mm. And if you want to go further, like what you do in the sidewalk chats and interact, right? Um, then you would do that. Mm. I love I do that. that. I do that sometimes. Sometimes I just don't have the time and mm-hmm. I don't, I, sure. it's not where my energy is, but like I can think of, you know, a time where it was outside my office and I was walking my dog during lunch and I saw a young couple, a man and a woman who were fighting mm. and very raised voices and the guy was going towards her, like grabbing her, and she was crying and telling him to get away, and he wasn't. So it was kind of an escalated situation, and my dog, he just stopped. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm following the dog. We have to tend to this. And I looked at that situation, Tracy, and I felt the thing that was missing it's interesting because you, you talk about listening so much. What was missing missing was that no one was listening to the agony 
Mm. I began to just represent that role on the streets. I didn't speak directly to any of them. Mm. It was probably, you know, a few yards away. And I just began saying very loudly, oh, my goodness, oh, it hurts so much, so much agony. I hear it. I hear it. I hear the agony. Please, someone listen. Someone listen. Don't touch us. Just hear us. Hear the pain of what we're talking about. And they both just stopped. And they looked at each other. And then they walked away and they began talking in quiet tones. Hmm. So impacting the world right after that couple neighbors who were watching from a distance, they came out to me. They said, we were just about to call the police. What happened? So seeing the world as your playground, how at that moment, no one was hearing the agony. He wasn't hearing the agony. She wasn't hearing it enough either, I don't think. Yeah. Amazing. But that made a change for the moment. But I certainly don't have the impulse to always do that. But at times I do. And at times I have to for survival. You know, if you're walking and stuff is going on directed at you, you you have no choice. You must. Yeah. Mm. This is really cool. Don, thank you so much for being here. And for everyone that's listening, as you know, there are going to be links to both of Don's books on the show notes, as well as the Process Work Institute, where you can learn some more and take some courses. Um, yeah. You yeah. might connect them to my website, too. There's some interesting I'll, things I'll put every link up on there that you tell me that yeah. you want up there. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. I so much appreciate you and for inviting me. And let's see, you're in Heidelberg, so it's really late over there. Midnight, almost midnight. Yeah, you're, you're a you're night my, out. You're my, hot, you're my hot Friday night date, Don. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.